Welcome to Muskegon History and Beyond with the Lakeshore Museum Center. My name is Pat Horn. As summer is officially upon us and Muskegonites and tourists alike hit the beach to enjoy a well-deserved summer, I want to talk about one of my favorite sights at the beach, namely brightly colored sailing ships coming back to the channel at sunset. These sailboats are now mostly for enjoyment, but 140 years ago, the sailboats that sailed Lake Michigan were at the heart of the industry that formed Muskegon. On today's episode, we're going to look at those sailing ships. Early Muskegon was a very isolated place. The marshy area that lent its name to the town kept roads from reaching it from the north, while thick woods and largely uninhabited lands east of town were too difficult to build well-maintained roads on. South of Muskegon, the Grand River and Mono Lake also made land travel difficult. Thus, most people and supplies would arrive via boat through the channel. The preferred boat for the task was the schooner. So what is a schooner? Now you'll have to bear with me for a bit, first of all because I'll be using some nautical or sailing terms for you non-sailors that are going to be a bit hard to follow, and secondly, for you nautical types out there, I'm going to be using some nautical sailing terms, and I'm not a sailor, so hopefully I'm using them right. A schooner is a wind-powered boat with typically two to three masts, which are the vertical poles of the ship, although a few schooners had up to seven masts. Of these masts, the foremost, or the mast near the front of the ship, was the smallest. The sails on a schooner are gaffed rig, with triangular or trapezoid-shaped sails. Gaffed rigging is when the sail connects to a horizontal boom on the bottom, so near the base of the boat, and also to an angled piece of wood called a gaff, which sticks out from the mast at an angle, making the sail that trapezoid shape, in which the bottom is the long edge, and the top is a shorter or angled edge. Another feature of schooners is a special rudder called the centerboard, or drop keel. The centerboard is, like the name suggests, a board in the middle of the ship. However, it is on the underside of the boat. Unlike rudders that help steer, the centerboard was mainly to help the ship balance in the lake waves and lower its center of gravity so it didn't rock side to side as much. The unique part of the centerboard was that it could also be retracted up into the belly of the ship which allowed schooners to enter shallow waters that otherwise would be unnavigable. With this design, schooners were fast, agile, could sail in shallow waters, and still had a design that allowed for a decent-sized cargo hold, with the average schooner being able to carry 200 to 250 tons of cargo, or in lumbering terms, around 225,000 board feet of lumber. The size of ships varied too, with 60 to 200 foot long ships being the size range. Even though the ships could be large, the design of them allowed a small crew to operate it, with 6 to 10 men being the average size. For the crew on a lumber schooner, there was a cabin that had a kitchen, a captain's quarters, a crew room with bunk beds, and a head, or bathroom, which was a seat with an opening to the water. The first schooner to arrive in Muskegon was a small schooner named Victor. Its arrival was not a very good reflection of the future success of schooners in Muskegon, however. When approaching the docks, the crew lost control and the bowsprit, or piece of wood sticking out like a horn of the ship, went through a dockside store window. As bad as this start was, the schooner's importance would continue to blossom. Muskegon residents felt this sharply when in 1857, a terrible winter isolated the town from getting supplies. When the first schooner appeared on the horizon, the residents sawed a path through the remaining ice so the ship could dock and deliver supplies. As lumbering really took off in the 1870s, 80s, and 90s, schooners would become a very common sight. In 1881, for example, 2,800 vessels came to Muskegon, the majority of this schooners. 
In June of that year alone, 469 ships arrived, and having 10 arrivals in an hour wasn't out of the ordinary. By 1889, Muskegon was the third largest port by tonnage on Lake Michigan, behind, of course, Milwaukee and Chicago. So how did all this tonnage leave the port? Well, when a schooner arrived to the Muskegon Lake Channel, it was greeted by a fleet of tugboats rushing towards it. These tugboats had a nice towing fee to make if they could snag the schooner and bring them back to the docks, usually about $10 to $25. If you recall from earlier, when the schooner rammed the storefront window, this was something residents wanted to avoid, and thus small steam-powered tugboats were used to guide the wind-reliant ships safely. Some larger mills, such as the Hackley Mill, would hire or construct their own tugboats for their ships to cut back on the towing cost. As the ship was coming into town, another race would begin, this one between competing groups of dock wallopers. Dock wallopers were the men who loaded the ships, and the first group that got there would get the charge for loading the cargo. For the dock wallopers, being the first to the dock was just the start. They then had to load by hand all 200 plus tons of lumber from the mill docks onto the ship. You can imagine these ships were packed with as much precision as a family packing for camping, with very little space wasted. Once it was loaded, the ship would be towed out of Muskegon Lake and into Lake Michigan, where the wind and currents would take it to its market, mainly Chicago. The journey to Chicago could take anywhere from two to four days depending on the conditions, and then another two to four days to make it back to Muskegon. For the sailors, this job paid between 50 cents to a dollar a day, but that would increase to nearly $2 a day at the turn of the century. The captain of the ship could make considerably more, but at a risk. Some captains owned their own boats and freelanced. If the ship sank, it could be a financial disaster. Other captains were hired by a company to transport their lumber into a company-owned ship. Depending on profits and the price of wood, captains can make between $600 to $1,800 a year. During the journey, these men were exposed to the sometimes harsh Great Lakes water. There are many records of wrecks and reports of near disasters, particularly near the end of the season as the November gales would hit the lakes. A harrowing account of one such storm in 1891 describes the danger well. The schooner Cape Horn was on Lake Michigan delivering lumber when an ice storm appeared. One of the first things to go in the storm was about 40,000 board feet of lumber stacked on the ship's deck. The rest of the story is relayed to us by the ship's steward, C.J. Cutler. Soon after midnight, the deck became so slippery that we had to crawl around the deck. The boat sprung a leak, and before we knew it, the hold had four feet of water. From that time on, the men worked pumping it out. Two hours later, they made headway, finally lowering the water level. Each wave that swept over the deck drenched the men. This water soon turned to ice. Cutler states, When the men came down for coffee, I took the wooden potato masher and broke the ice off of them. When he took his turn at the pumps, he saw the waves hitting the ship. Quote, we would see the waves ahead of us, looking as big as houses and as black as ink. And every time one of them struck us, we thought our time had come. Not one of us expected to see land again. And by the time the ice was one inch thick all over us, we were so tired out, we didn't much care what became of us. When the ship reached port in Chicago, all the ropes were covered in ice, the jib was frozen solid, and on the bowsprit, there were great icicles hanging down. According to Cutler, one of the crew members' beard was so badly frozen that it took soaking in hot water for 30 minutes to thaw it out. Stories of wrecks or near wrecks such as this made the papers frequently, as they were some of the most sensational stories, as you can tell from that last story. 
Many of the ships were also very familiar to local residents, and they could identify ships while miles away by their sails, size, and shape. The crew of ships were also well known, and communities would often crew locally made ships, so when one sunk, it was a great tragedy. To try and stay afloat, or to survive, the crew had many tactics. The ship's pumps were often in use on voyages, even in perfect weather. The cost to keep ships in tip-top shape and to fix all the leaks was incredibly expensive and time-intensive as the ship had to be pulled out of the water, so most lumber barons were fine sending out ships with minor leaks. In fact, one of the jobs of the crew during the trip was to try and patch the leak and man the pumps. While it might seem to be tempting the fates to leave port in a leaky ship, the very buoyant lumber cargo made minor leaks easy to handle. In situations where things started to get out of control, one trick crews used was to dump their oil into the water in an effort to calm the waves around the ship. In attempting the channel to Muskegon Lake during storms, many captains preferred to beach their ships or wait it out instead of attempting the rough waves in the narrow channel. In 1885, the R.B. King decided to attempt the channel and was carried by a wave onto the pier where the ship broke apart. Only two of the four crew members were rescued. So where did these ships come from? The largest shipyard was in West Bay City, and at its height, the shipbuilding industry there employed 1,500 workers. However, Muskegon also had two shipyards which built lumber schooners, one run by Captain J.P. Arnold, located on Ottawa Street, and the other run by A.J. Footlander, which was near Terrace Street. Footlander made three notable schooners between 1881 and 1882, the 40-ton Jesse Martin, the 32-ton Annie Morse, and the George A. Marsh. The most famous ship made in Muskegon has to be the schooner Lyman Davis, built by J.P. Arnold. It was built in 1872 to 1873 and was named after the son of Charles Davis, a member of the Mason Lumber Company firm. The Davis was 123 foot long and 27 foot wide and carried about 275,000 board feet of lumber. It was known to be exceptionally fast, being able to make the round trip to Chicago in three days. In a good year, it could transport 15 million board feet of lumber. While the ship was once the pride of Muskegon, its ending left a bitter taste in the mouth of Muskegon residents. In 1933, a Toronto company bought the Davis to burn it for entertainment. Tickets were to be purchased to get a close view of the once proud ship burning. When Muskegon residents received word of this, an attempt was made to raise funds to purchase the ship and bring it back to Muskegon, but ultimately their efforts failed and the Davis was burned in 1934. In 2016, a sculpture entitled Sails Ablaze was erected at the Terrace Point Traffic Circle to commemorate the Lyman Davis. The Davis and other schooners like it were typically made in the winter months when sailing was impossible. The sailors of the local ports would head home and work at the shipyards. At the yards, the keel was laid out first, providing the length of the ship. Then, ribs were attached to the keel. Horizontal boards were then steamed and bent to add to the sides of the ship. Since the boards weren't a perfect fit, caulking had to be put between the boards to make the ship watertight, or at least mostly watertight. The caulking would consist of old rope or hemp soaked in pitch or tar and then stuffed in the gaps. Pitch was then put over top of this to keep leaks from occurring. Coarse salt was also put in the cracks between boards and the ribs. The purpose of this salt was to prevent dry rot by soaking up any water or moisture that might get between. Dry rot is a fungus that decomposes the wood, making it brittle, soft, and porous. Not a good combination for a ship. The caulking process was in need of touch-up and repairs, a job of which fell to the sailors on the ships. 
The salt would need to be added for the first three to four years of the ship's life to prevent dry rot. Once this was complete, the deck and mast were added and finally all the rigging and sails. The ship needed to be christened and then it was ready for launch. A maintained schooner could in its lifetime make a thousand trips between Muskegon and Chicago, although every few years it needed to be docked and recocked. However, many ships did not make this thousand trips as weather or poor upkeep would destroy it. As prices in the 1880s and 1890s increased for towing, steam-powered boats came more and more into use and old schooners were scrapped. By the turn of the century, schooners were a rare sight, although until the 1930s, a few still sailed the Great Lakes. I would like to thank you for listening to Muskegon History and Beyond. If you'd like to learn more about the ships that sailed or steamed across Lake Michigan and Muskegon Lake, visit our Coming to the Lakes exhibit to learn more. (laughs) 